Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. My name is Tony, and today is episode 92 of the podcast. I get to sit down with authors and pastors, Derek Hawkins and Jay Stewart. In their new writing, Welded, they talk about forming racial bonds that last. I love the way they talk about unity through the eyes of God, what that looks like in scripture, and how um, how their stories and their witness come together in such an ordained way. I love their hearts. They're disciple makers at their very core, uh, something I'm very passionate about as well. I think you're going to love this conversation. And as you pick up their book, make sure that you read the forward by a friend of the podcast, Sam Collier. Uh, just so much goodness happening in this dialogue. As always, one of the compliments that you can give us is by leaving a rating or review, especially on iTunes. Also, do me a favor, share this episode with a friend. Either share it on socials or uh, email it to somebody, text it to somebody, get the word out about what God is doing through this platform. It really does make a huge difference as we continue to grow and see what God is going to do. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Derek Hawkins and Jay Stewart. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to have Jay and Derek on. Guys, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast today. Man, thank you, Tony. What an honor to be with you, man. Tony, thank you for having us, man. Such an honor to be on your podcast today. I can't wait to see what the Lord's going to do. Well, so the first thing I have to ask is, uh, so I I wrote a a book with a friend, uh, just like you guys have, uh, and Welded is your book that has uh, all about forming racial bonds that last. And uh, I can tell you that the hardest part about writing a book with my mentor was uh, was actually us having two completely separate voices. What was that experience like for you guys to put your thoughts together? Because you don't write the same way. <laughs> right. Tony, he bossed me around the whole time. He just told me what I had to do, and I had no other thing. No, it's true to that, but not necessarily. But he was, man, it was amazing. It was an amazing opportunity. Uh, man, this man is so smart. When I tell you just his ability to, to hear from the Lord and just place things where they needed to be placed. This is my first time, so he really coached me through a lot of things. But just because of his wisdom and who, who he was, Here's the thing. We never wrote in the same room, which was just a God thing. And oh, no kidding. You guys always wrote separately. Always wrote separately. Man. The Lord mm-hmm. really just did a work in it. And so it was amazing. We had an amazing, my first experience was an amazing uh, first experience because of him. Hmm. Jay, what was it like? Yeah, for you? I'll, I'll just, well, uh, it was, it was awesome and laborious and, uh, <laughs> You know, I, people have no idea when you talk about writing a book, just all that goes into it. But I'll I'll just say this, Tony. I've never written under such an anointing in all my life. Mm. And it was clear it was a narrative God wanted out. And uh, as Derek mentioned, we were in different places writing. And, and I would just say, hey, let's write about this. You write about this. And it was crazy how the Holy Spirit orchestrated everything that went down on the paper and how it all came together. And uh, it just const- it was a constant reminder to us that the Lord was right smack dab in the middle of what was happening and what was being produced with the book Welded. So it was a great experience, man. I'm really thankful. So one of the questions I love to ask people is how they hear from God. And, and you talked about that anointing a little bit, Jay. And, and it's clear to me, uh, Derek, in your journey and kind of how you – uh, narrate through this through the book that you guys both have done quite a bit of listening to God's um, word in your life. So, Derek, let me let me start with you. How how do you know when um, when something is from God, like merging your your church, which you just became lead pastor of, right, and and becoming uh, a part of a bigger church? How do you know that's from God and not from um, you know fear or uh, you know the burrito you ate the night before? Right. Um, I, th- I was thinking I've learned this from a lot of just wise people that I've had from my grandmothers to Pastor Jay and some of the other influences just to steal myself away to be 100 percent sure that it's God, not just a good thing, a God thing. So some of that is just praying and waiting and then feeling that release when God when God tells me, hey, this is this is my leading. Um, and so what I try to do is bathe everything in prayer and bathe mm-hmm. it in the word of God, but then also 
give myself a time to breathe and let the word just kind of breathe over me instead mm-hmm. of to hear what the Lord is saying to me in that moment. So I don't make an emotional decision. So for me, it's always been that just still in the way in prayer, always making sure that the, the word of God backs it up, but then also giving God an opportunity just to breathe over me, just write over me, speak over me. And then from that to make the decision after it's been bathed through prayer, fasting and the word of God. Oh, I love that. Jay, Jay, what about you? How do you hear from God? Uh, uh, the first thing I would say about that is that uh, it flows out of intimacy. Paul talks about us being seated with him in heavenly places. Mm. And the picture I get is, uh, you know, like sitting on a front porch with someone that you're really close to and just hanging out with them. And I think about when the disciples were in a room with Jesus, and I believe it was John that just kind of leaned over onto his chest, you know. And uh, one of my goals is that I just press my ear to his chest so I feel and hear the heartbeat of God. And that can only happen through closeness, through intimacy. So I really try to guard my uh, quiet time with the Lord, the times that I spend with him. And I don't do that because I'm a pastor. I do that because I'm a Christ follower, because I want to have an intimacy with him. And then Paul also also talks about testing everything and clinging to that which is good. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when when something comes, you know, like a, I feel like the Spirit of God is saying something. I don't I don't usually just immediately act on that. I'll let that marinate a little bit. I'll take that back before the Lord to make sure it's not just me in the moment. I just want to be spirit led, you know, walking in the spirit, you know, being the perfect dance Mm. partner with the Holy Spirit. So he's taking the lead and I'm just in rhythm with him. Yeah, Has that always been something that you've done, Jay, or is that gift of kind of like discernment or that intentional discernment, has that been uh, nurtured over the years? Because one of the things that I'm always working on in my own life is I can be somewhat impulsive, Right. And and so just like act, yeah. you know, like, and I'm like, oh, this yeah. is going to be great. I'm just going to go do it. Why wouldn't I do this? H- how have you <laughs> developed that in your life? Well, I, uh, age brings wisdom. Uh, <laughs> or it should. And uh, so I've got some years of, uh, of experience and I'm a real ambitious person. And I look back on my younger years and there were times, Tony, I jumped out there uh, without a lot of wisdom because I was uh, ambitious or excited about something and uh, really didn't take the time to make sure it was a God thing and not just a good thing. But I think through time, I've learned to, you know, just slow down a little bit, make sure that I'm marching to his drum beat and not to my own drum beat. And um, I I think the best thing is just, you know, years of uh, endeavoring to listen to his voice. I've always tried to do that. Yeah. But I think, I've nurtured that over time and I've gotten better about that uh, over time. No, I love that. Um, and, and one of the things that's clear is that you guys in this journey of, of bringing your lives together, you, you did that very intentionally, Derek, mm-hmm. you, you kind of talk in this, in the, in the book about um, meeting Jay for the first time and the billboard and all of that. I, I was wondering if you might share a, a little bit of that journey of, of how you guys initially came together and how God kind of moved in you through that process with, with our listeners. Cause I, I think it's um, I think oftentimes we miss little signs from God that could be an opportunity to grow in our faith. And Tony, thank you for that. And thank you for reading the book. It means the world to us that you would do that. But, uh, and actually I hadn't shared this on any other podcast, but in college, and I told this to Pastor Jay when I first met him that the Lord they gave me a prophetic word when I was in college that I was going to meet uh, three influential people in my life and mm. um, told me about my wife. Then told me about a woman that I would meet and then told me with a man that would lead me to um, what my destiny was. And it was going to be a white gentleman, middle aged man. And I wrote it down in my prophetic journal it was back when I was in college. And so um, as I began to do that one day, living in a small town, Salisbury, North Carolina, I came home from college. One summer, came home. I was playing basketball, and I came home. And then one summer, I had a, a chance encounter with uh, with the Lord through a divine intervention of my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and all the husbands said, "Amen." <laughs> amen, and all the sons, amen. So he uh, intervened my uh, couch time on a Saturday morning and told me to get up off of it and take my daughter to get a hair done. <laughs> divine intervention at his best. And I took my daughter to get her hair done. 
that morning and dreadfully, but not knowing that the Lord was divinely setting me up, moving me from a position of comfort into what was next, you know, and I see this uh, sign downtown Salisbury. And it, ironically, Pastor Jay had planted a Salisbury location of the Kannapolis campus or the main campus of the refuge, just right outside of Charlotte. And just walking in distance, I, I began to see that sign and I was attracted to the sign, the letters, just the, the excellence, the detail of the sign. But when I called, it didn't lead me to Salisbury, it led me just outside of Charlotte. And the receptionist picked up the phone and and connected me to the graphic designer at that time and, and wound up inviting me. He invited me to just one on one session who out of everything that's going on. And it really speaks to the culture that Pastor Jay has instilled in the culture of the refuge that we, we value every human being. So they didn't look at me on, on the call and say, hey, well, let me just put them on to the voicemail. No, they set up a meeting, met with me. Right outside of our, cor- our concourse areas, our mugshot, where we have our coffee shop permissions, we sat there, downloaded vision into me. He says this prophetically. I know this guy. He's like, you need to meet Pastor Jay. He's an apostolic father, and there's something that you need from him. So he was keen to the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Mm-hmm. He then invited me back to a service, and Banning Leapshire was preaching on revival. And I'll never forget that. And the presence of God was so strong. I could feel it. As I left out of the service, I never wept so much in the service, wept literally all all the way in my car, to my car. But before I did that, I met Pastor Jay in the concourse. And and if you know this about Pastor Jay, anybody that knows this, um, he greets every person that desires to greet him in in between services, which is uncommon for a mega pastor, you know, to come in between services. He still does that to this day. And he greets me. A black guy comes up to him like, hey, you know. And we exchange information, and uh, and I reach out to him. He's going out of town for about a month. He's going on sabbatical for a month. And we just and intentionally, every month, we would just connect and meet monthly and develop a relationship that became a mentorship that then from a mentorship turned into just fathering. And he began to just pour into me. And that's that. that's not just my pastor. That's my spiritual father. And so much of who I am is because he's in my life, you know. Wouldn't be where I'm at today, Pastor Jay. How, how do you decide? Because um, c- I, I actually believe that you know, as we talk about uh, where the church is heading, is that it's going to look like more spiritual sons and fathers, right? And 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 daughters and mothers. Like I think that that's the mm-hmm. call to get back to. And um, how how do you decide? You're, you're a mega church pastor, super busy author. I, I'm sure opportunities to speak any chance you want. How do you decide? Um, Yes, I, I think God is calling me to meet with Derek or or how do you test what your boundaries are on on the time that you have to give to to raising up the next generation? Really, Tony, I feel like the season of life that I'm in now is it that is one of my primary responsibilities and privileges is pouring into the next generation. Hmm. You know, the Bible says there are many teachers, but few fathers. And I've recognized for uh, the last number of years that there is an apostolic anointing on my life. I don't say that with any <clears throat> any sense of arrogance. Uh, it's just stewardship, really, of what God's put on me and what he's entrusted to me. And so it really is my heart. Uh, and so if somebody approaches me like like Pastor Derek did that day and says, hey, I want, I need coaching, I need mentoring or whatever, Man, I'm going to prioritize that. I'm going to make time for that. We've said often that here at the Refuge, we're not trying to build a castle. We want to build the kingdom. And I want to do anything I can to help set the next generation up for success and to pour into them. And so uh, a lot of my time now is spent coaching pastors and meeting with pastors and leaders and just pouring into them and you know, taking almost four decades of ministry experience now and just making that available to them and pouring that into them. I lead a coaching group of pastors every year. I don't charge a dime Mm. for that. And I'm not throwing shade on those who do, but God just said, you know, just give it away. You know, you have freely received, now freely give. And so anyway, uh, I just feel like it's a great honor to, to do that with with pastors in that day, that was back in 2014 when Derek approached me 
my heart was there, man. It was what I wanted to do. Let's talk a little about the merging of of your guys's ministries, kind of uh, in, in alignment. Pastor Jay, how, how did how did you? Because um, you you talk a little bit about that in the book, and uh, you met with uh, a, a local bishop, I believe, and and uh, his I think it was his wife, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. That whole process of of joining that together, how did that come to you? And then and then how did uh, what what moved you to to lead your church and then to open the discussion, which I, I mean, I, you know, I'm a pastor, right? So, so I know how yeah. kind of nerve wracking those, uh, that's, a, that's a scary conversation. Hey, would you be interested yeah. in merging flocks? You know, like yes. that's yes. super scary. <clears throat> well, uh, it was an interesting story because pastor Derek and I started meeting and not long after we started meeting, he began to bring other leaders from the church that he was about to take over. And then the founding pastors began meeting with us. Mm. And it was all for the purpose of them transitioning well, of them transitioning out, handing the baton over to Pastor Derek, him taking over the helm of the church. And uh, there was never one thought of merging. Uh, and we met for about 18 months. Wow. And there was this unbelievable relationship, very close. Our hearts were knitted together by the Holy Spirit. But in one of those meetings, now 18 months into it, I hear, now we talked earlier about how do you know, you know, is it you or is it the Holy Spirit? I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying this, ask them if they've ever had conversations about becoming a campus of the refuge. Yeah. Now, Tony, I'll be honest with you, man. I had the audacity in that moment to tell the Lord, I will not ask him that. <laughs> uh, can you imagine that i mean i told god uh, yes no, i can't god and i have those conversations all the time <laughs> <laughs> i'm not doing that god i'm not doing that yeah. i always uh, I'm, not, I'm not gonna do that and here's why because i did not want them to think i had an agenda yeah. in this because really my agenda uh, my agenda and i can say this with all purity of heart my agenda was to help them get better and uh so I, that that wrestle in my mind and spirit goes on for a few minutes where I'm going, I'm not going to ask him that. And the Holy Spirit's like, ask him that, you know. And so finally, I recanted to the Holy Spirit and said, okay. And I put it out there and asked him, and they all started laughing. And, <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world? And they said, oh, Pastor, we talk about that all the time. Hmm. And so it was kind of in that moment we began to realize, boy, this is bigger than what any of us thought. And there's something unfolding here for the kingdom's sake that's bigger than just, you know, having conversations about a guy taking over a church. And so then our conversations began to shift somewhat, and we started talking about what could this look like? What's God doing? You know, when should we do this? And then God just began to unfold, you know, the timeline and the you know, the steps and what we were to do. So it was a beautiful uh, thing that was orchestrated totally by the Holy Spirit. Now, Pastor Derek, I'd be interested to hear it from your point of view. Um, how, how did how did God start nudging you and your team in that direction? And, and obviously, what tremendous um, humility and wisdom that you must have in order to be, even be open to the idea? Because, uh, I, I mean, if I'm completely honest, when I first stepped into the pastoral role, I was really excited about being a lead pastor versus when I was on staff at a, at a church as a, a discipleship pastor. Right. And, and that kind of, it felt like a kind of a rite of passage and, you know, there's a little bit of just my humanity and all of that. Um, it, it sounds like God, re, you know, really equipped you for that. I'd love to hear more. Yeah, Tony, uh, man, I've always, uh, said this and not just I live this out man my life really does not belong to me it belongs mm. to the Lord and uh and I want to live in my life out poured out as a drink offering and um I really want my life to be an example of God being able to utilize and being a conduit for what the Lord wants to do. Uh was it easy? No, but uh I think Pastor Jay talks about this and I just poured into my family this morning the same exact thing that obedience has a ripple effect and so does disobedience. Mm. 
Yeah. But those moments in our lives where um, is it really about what God wants to do? If we say, hey, God, this is your plan. And clearly it was the plan of God. Look at what he's doing. So I just can't take credit, man. I just yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He's my father. He's my leader. You know, he's my Lord. And so I gave him complete control over my life. What is a title when the kingdom of God is affected by our decision making? And man, I can mm. put out a title for anything. I mean, it's more of my impact to the kingdom of God. And, and if I look back, if I'm bluntly honest, none of the things that have happened in my life wouldn't have happened if I hadn't hadn't yielded to go to the way that he uh, was leading me to go. There's a the way that seems right in a man, but the end leads to destruction. And I think that we all know that those paths, though the the, the route, road might look broader, but it actually leads to destruction. And here's the thing: we I chose to go a different path, and um, it's been was it challenging ongoing? Absolutely, it's like being married. You know, the first few years of marriage, I write that about that in the book. I left the two place open and like, oh man, what in the world? What are we doing here? Let's get a divorce. No, we don't. <laughs> because of two place that's left open or challenges or trying to figure out things, I think it's a part of the process of what we learn. But we do know this: we are better together. Yeah, we know that. You know, we've seen that, and it's, it's spreading all across the nations. We just got word. This morning, and even in the UK, people are talking about Wilder, man. And I'm just absolutely blown away by the, the faithfulness that God would utilize someone like me to be a part of the, the greater narrative. I, I love that. Um, and one of the things that is is clear is that is that as you guys kind of married your ministries together, um, that it was important to remain. Um, to have your individual identities and then to learn from each other. And there's a, a phrase that I really touch my heart, um, the, the difference between tolerate and celebrate. And, and, and I wonder, I wonder if you could talk a little about um, a, as we kind of dive into some of the, you know, obviously there are racial and cultural differences here. How, how do you celebrate that versus just tolerate that? And, and are there some examples from early on in the marriage that, or maybe even still today that are like, man, this is what it means to celebrate versus tolerate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, maybe I can jump in first and respond to that uh, pastor and say this, that first of all, our goal is not uniformity. Our goal is unity. Mm. Uh, uniformity says you've got to look just like me, talk like me, act like me, or vice versa. Unity says we recognize that all of us bring to the table different unique uh, qualities and strengths and weaknesses. And that if we can learn to blend those, and that's the picture of covenant that goes all the way back to Genesis 15, that if we recognize that those differences can make us better, then we can celebrate those and not just tolerate them. Pride says, well, I've got to tolerate how you're different from me. But inside, I'm really thinking you should be just like me. But humility says, I can learn from you. Humility says, you have things that I need in my life. And I can, I'll be the first to say, I'm a much better man because of Derek Hawkins. I'm a much better man and pastor because of our congregation in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I've learned so much. And it's easy for me to celebrate those differences because I recognize that, um, uh, they they really make us better. We're all better because of the blending of our uniqueness, the blending of our differences. Not so there's uniformity, but the, so that there's unity. Mm, yeah. Wow. Man, that, that was so good, Tony. And I think for me, uh, I've just learned so much from Pastor Jay and what we brought together um, and what I've learned from him. And when you come in, and let me say this, let me preface this. The reason that I sought after Pastor Jay and sought after leadership is because I couldn't find it in the confounds of my own culture. Oh, wow. You know, what I was looking for, nobody gave to me, nobody offered to me. Um, so when I went looking for, 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 for mentorship and development, I wanted to develop. I knew the vision that I had in my heart, but I also knew that I needed structure. I needed insight on how to do it. 
Um, I've seen African-American churches struggle. I've never talked about this on the podcast. I've seen them struggle in their finances. I've, I've seen them struggle with retention and growth and development. I've seen the spirit of God move in a high place, but then the finances be bankrupt. I've seen churches that would uh, have people mortgage their homes and they would die never having the mortgage paid off. I've seen all of that stuff. And for me, inside of my heart, I did not want to do that. I grew up around that and I wanted to do something different. And uh, I knew that we just the, the program and the strategies, the vision. And Pastor Jay brought me inside of his uh, his leadership meetings and let me sit at the table to glean and just to learn, not knowing anything about me, but trusting the God, what God had given him and trusting the God inside of me. He set me down at those tables and he allowed me to learn and to glean. And I was able to bring that stuff back to our campus and um, really gave me a vision and a strategy of how to build leaders. Pastor Jay taught me how to be a pastor. I didn't know how Mm. to pour into people and pastor people. I didn't know uh, my gifting and learning how to be patient and learning how to restructure and build out systems and set, you know, plans and goals. So all of that stuff is what I've learned that has made the campus better, but has made me a better pastor and a better leader um, because of what he showed me. And a lot of that wasn't sitting down, hey, you take this paper and write those notes down. No, it was watching him lead. You know, I watched him lead. I watched him navigate. I watched him coach. I watched him pour. I watched people come in his office and he had every right to just rip them and he didn't. And he just was calm. I've watched him endure seasons where I don't know how you're going to come out of this, but he never wavered. And that's what I gleaned from. Um, and, and that's what has made us a better campus and a, a better leadership team for me is because of that. Oh, I, I love that. I think I think it speaks to um, the, the intimacy of the relationship that you guys have together to see all of that. Um, hey, now, what what's the cultural makeup of your campuses now, uh, pastors? Um, are you guys still uh, are inter, are you intermingled more, uh, you know, racially, or what what's that look like? Or uh, Pastor Jay, would you mind speaking a little bit to that? Yeah, sure. So the the campus that um, that I pastor, what we would call our central or main campus, uh, is. Uh, ethnically diverse and uh, is more and more uh, that way uh, than ever before. We're seeing a lot of uh, diversity come through the doors, especially, you know, pre-COVID. I mean, now we're in 2021, (laughs) but uh, pre-COVID things were different. But even, even in the midst of that, people that were so glad we had our doors open during COVID that continued to come in. And then we bring our campuses together. Uh, we try to intentionally do that on a, uh, you know, as often as we can for some, some, we did a racial reconciliation service back in 2020, mm. uh, in September of 2020. That was absolutely powerful. Uh, we do a, a big revival type event to start every year and all the campuses come together. And when we do, we, you know, we blend the worship teams and, you know, the leadership and, and all of that. So uh, it really uh, it really helps us to celebrate the differences and to, to, you know, to recognize, man, we're so much better when we're together. Yeah, Tony, and as to that, so when I first took over, we were probably 1%. Let's say <laughs> probably lower than that. But <laughs> the percentage of our campus has grown in diversity, uh, multi-ethnicity, and uh, multi-generational as our church has changed. And here's what I'll say to that. You can have a multicultural church, but not necessarily a multi-ethnic church, which means that the ethnicities are appreciated. So when Pastor Jay makes the uh, uh, the statement about celebrating and not just tolerating it, that's what, we are, what we're doing. Um, whether it's at our campus or the main campus of Kannapolis or Brazil, we're celebrating uh, the differences that each campus brings that makes the DNA the same, but it also makes our identities different. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the whole demographic of our campus, whether you stay in Greensboro, if you stay in Salisbury, if you stay in, right outside of Charlotte, or if you're out of the country, wherever you are, 
that you're going to see a multi-ethnic expression of the body of Christ. And that's what I love about the refuge. It's not just uniformity, but it is actually unity. And sometimes mm-hmm. that unity is, hey, this offers this, but it's still a part of the body. And this offers this, but it's still a part of the body. And so I think when we look at multi-ethnic congregations or what multi-ethnic churches need to look like, I think God has given us the model that he wants the churches to be represented from. And from that, we're seeing this unity and not just uniformity, but we're coming together. And these things take time. They mm-hmm. are fully coming to that expression of what God is saying. But I think that the Holy Spirit is doing an amazing job of navigating us through uncertainties and, and what it looks like as we're coming together, as he's knitting this this work together. It's really making sense more and more every day. So I, I have a I have a heart for that, and I, I deeply desire that in our church. Um, and and yet I'm also kind of in this weird reality that um, the the context of where Restoration Church is is 98 percent white and 2% mm-hmm. other, mm-hmm. right? And and mm-hmm. I think there are so many communities that are already um, segregated. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, a lot of that is historical. A lot of that is is um, kind of just the way it's been played out. H- how do we encourage church leaders? H- how do we get churches like mine? How do we tell leaders to, to get back to that place where we're, uh, we're making we're getting back into the fullness of the, of the kingdom of God, the way he intended it. I, I would be interested in hear some of the, the strategies that you guys have used and, and how you coach people through that process. Can I, can I jump on this one first, Pastor Jake? And, and yeah. I, you'll say something. Uh, Cause I learned this from a good friend of mine. Uh, it's all about the demographic of where your church is located. Your city speaks a lot about the diversity of your community. For Pastor Jay in, in a Charlotte location, it's right outside of Charlotte, which is extremely diverse. For Greensboro, it's about um, 50-50 white and black, but it still is very, very segregated. But here's the thing, and I had to get this real estate. I was talking to a pastor that rode and, and passes a multi-ethnic church. He's like, he says, what is the, what is the ratio of the African-Americans versus diversity in your community? I was like, maybe whatever percentage it was at that time. He's like, it's unrealistic to feel that your church is going to be 50-50 when 70 to 80% around it is white or black. He says, so here's what you need to do. He says, think about the, um, the amount of percentage that you can impact with the people in your demographic. And he says, start there and let that be mm. building block from there. So some of us want these things of our churches being multi-ethnic, but it's just not the makeup of our cities and our communities. I'm going to say something that's going to be sack religious or entire. It's not everybody's call. Right. It is not everybody's call mm-hmm. to, to do this. Like this has to be something that the Lord impresses it. Upon yes. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit in what we're doing. So we didn't come of it thinking about this thing. This is where our cities are located. Greensboro is historic for the civil rights movement with the Greensboro Four. Charlotte, right with uh, Reverend Billy Graham, Dr. Billy Graham, and what he's done even with Dr. King. It's the narrative of heaven. Do I feel like it can spread to other churches? But truly, the model has to come from the download of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Oh, so good, man. So good. And just, I can't add a lot to that, but I will say this. First of all, uh, people need the why question answered for them oftentimes. And I think as pastors and leaders and Pastor Tony, I can tell, man, you have such a heart for the agenda of heaven and a heart for people. And, And I would say, answer the why question for people. You know, one of the things we f- have focused on is Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the dew that flows down the beard of Aaron, the high priest, down his robe. And on the robe, you know, was inscribed the 12 tribes of Israel. So it didn't flow over one or two tribes. It flowed over all 12, which I think is a picture of what the Holy Spirit wants to do when he flows across all ethnicities. And it says there, you know, that's where the Lord commands his blessing. And so if we want to walk and dwell and live in the blessings of God, then we need to learn to dwell together in unity. And then the the other thing is, 
you know, the we have to help people to understand that if it was enough of a priority to Jesus mm-hmm. that he, in John 17, one of the final things he would pray before going to the cross was for the unity of, of the brethren of the body of Christ, then it has to be a priority to us. We can't be flippant or casual about that. And I think people in the body of Christ need to understand that. And then, of course, you know, it leads us to the very practical application of that. It's like, okay, so what do I do? You know, like in your case, 98%, 99% of our church are white or could be African-American. What do we do about that? And then we start becoming intentional. We look around us. We say, okay, what's right here within a five-mile radius of my community? What's realistic? Might not be realistic to be 50-50, but what's realistic for us? And then let's be intentional about that. You know, the Luke 10 uh, parable that Jesus talks about of, of the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan that did not get along with Jews, but he crossed the road. Mm. So then, you know, the, the question comes to mind, what do we do on purpose to cross the road? Like when it comes to this thing of blending our churches, how can we cross the road? And then you start just laying that out in practical terms. Well, to cross the road might mean that we do this or that. And that's some of the things that we've done here. Uh, and you mentioned one of them already that I was going to follow up with, the, the the racial reconciliation service that you guys did in, in September. I, could, you, could you tell me a little bit about that and, and how the Holy Spirit worked through that event? Because I, I think that I mean, anybody can, any church can do that, right? Any leader can do that. Any, anybody can, can facilitate those kind of meetings. How, how do you get started on that? What does that look like? And, um, and, and how did your, how did your church deal with it? They, first, uh, I'll answer the last question first. They loved it. They were fully on board. Mm. They recognized just the enormous tensions and division in our nation that still exists. We've made great strides over the last Amen. four or five decades, but all of us know we can look around even in 2021 and see, man, there's there's still a lot of tension, a lot of division, a lot of angst. So we still got a ways to go. Uh, so we just began by uh, casting the vision for that and saying, you know, we want to we want to be the we want to live out the reality of Psalm 133. We want to be the answer to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Mm. So let's come together. And we made it clear to our people. We said, look, we're not going to have another foot washing service. Mm-hmm. Pastor Derek and I both stood up in front of our people and said, our feet are clean. We're not going to go through some motions, you know, and just, no, we're going to get together and we're going to do what they we find that they did in Acts chapter two. We're going to worship together and we're going to pray together. Yeah, and that's that's what we did. That's the that's where revival flowed out of in Acts chapter two. So we we worshiped together, uh, and we prayed together, and we made sure that the worship was you know diverse. It represented who we are. It wasn't just one sound. Uh, that what was on the platform was diverse, and we also uh, took it uh, an opportunity to honor uh, our police officers mm. because of what was going on with them and. We brought them up, our chief of police and others, and we prayed over them and blessed them in that service. Right. Yeah. I I think uh, Pastor Jay has been extremely intentional. And here's what I would challenge any person that's going to listen to this podcast is that you don't want to just have a person on your team that's just because they're African-American and just because that's good. Man, let me just put them on my team because they could definitely have an opposing spirit to what the narrative of your church is. It takes a commitment, a level of commitment, intentionality to make sure that you're wrapping everything that you do in prayer, but also getting the the strategy from from heaven concerning what God wants to do in your church. Uh, I've often told Pastor Jay, it's easier for an African-American, for a white pastor to have African-American congregants than it is for a black person to have white congregants. And that's just the facts. If you look at anything statistically, you'll see it. So here's the thing. Um, are there subtle changes that need to be made? I was in prayer about this because I've really been in prayer about some things the Lord has downloaded me for some strategy that he's given me concerning some things that he's calling me to. Uh, one of the best ways to unify people is hymns. Mm. Hymns. 
And the Lord told me, he says, if you want to unify the sounds of worship, utilize hymns. Hmm. This was just, wow. I'm like, God, that's weird. It's like hymns. Hymns are the universal bridge to cultures. You know, if you start, if I start singing a, a hymn, uh, it is well with my soul. Um, a white person, a black person, a Hispanic person, mm-hmm. every person that hears is going to know it is well with my soul. And that, mm-hmm. they're not going to care about the writer of right. it is well with my soul. Guess what they're going to care about? It is well with my soul, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes the things that we want to move apart, away from, are the things that actually God calls us to be a bridge over. And mm-hmm. so the Lord is speaking to me about it. What are some bridge builders? Like having conversations with people that you have relationships with. I challenge our RDS students that we have a discipleship school that we have at our church. And I challenge all of our discipleship students to look through your phone and tell me the last 10 people that you spoke to, how many of them are of a different race than you? Because if you're not leading by example, how can you expect those individuals around you to lead by example? Our lives have to be uncomfortable. You can't Mm -hmm. have out of your church and be uncomfortable and your life not be uncomfortable, right? And that means that we're not walking out this conviction that we say that we're called to. Uh, nobody should be in this position and be comfortable. If you're comfortable, I'm challenging you that something isn't right. You have to be uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. I told them, I said this story before, when I first started listening to K-Love, brother, I did not know what I got myself into. I'm like, what <laughs> world is this? But I meet Mike Weaver and I listen to his heart and I start hearing the songs and the anointing and the worship that supersedes my preference. Mm-hmm. And that is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Is it, is it really your preference that you prefer to hear this or is it can you be can you be fed in this thing? And so what I don't want us to do is to choose our preference over God's narrative. And this is God, and it's not preference driven. Uh, what I love about that, Pastor Derek, is that is that um, as I was Instagram stalking both of you pastors, um, that that's a thing that we do Instagram stalking. Uh, uh, one of the things I realized, Pastor Derek, is that is that you've got pictures with you uh, handing out the book to police officers and to prisoners. Man, yeah, and and there there's a, a tension there that is. Uh, just makes me, um, man, respect what God has called you to have. And this question is for both of you, gentlemen, have you guys received pushback on, on this idea of being welded or is it, has it been mostly uh, accepted by, by each of your communities? I think um, you you face pushback from anything that you do that that's advanced in the kingdom. Uh, what does that pushback look like? It looks different in the context. Uh, there's some militant-minded individuals, white and black, right? We we know that. So every person is not for unity. Mm. Um, they're, they're just not. So you're going to face pushback from those who might not understand it. And, um, you know, when you make certain comments that, you know, hey, if a black life matters, I don't represent the organization Black Lives Matter. You know, I don't feel like that properly represents me as an African-American male that's called to stand on the front lines, to stand in the gap for my family because I don't agree with what the organization represents. And and neither do I have to use the hashtag Black Lives Matter because I'm, mm. you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I got to live this. So I don't feel the need to utilize something because that's who I am. So there's been pushback. There's the other side of that, too, for me being an African-American man that feels like, hey, we want to all see police officers just come just like defund. That's not, that's not my heart. Now that is the heart of some, that's not the heart of every person because everybody's yeah. not after the same thing. There's some really, really great police officers. There's some really, really great preachers. And then there's some not so great preachers and not so great police officers. Here's what we want in the whole entire body of Christ. Mm. We want, we want, we want people who carry out and live out integrous lives. And we want them protecting us. We want them preaching to us. We want them serving us. And it doesn't matter if they're black or white. That's just what we want. Yeah. And I think everybody would want that on both sides of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll say, I think um, there, there's definitely been pushback uh, on different levels. 
but uh, we haven't focused on that. Uh, most people are grateful, excited um, about what God has done through us. And listen, for whatever reason, God chose us to write a better narrative to the nation. Mm. Uh, and most people are thankful for that because they recognize, man, this is the way it ought to be. Yeah, You know, yeah. even unbelievers, many of them are like, man, this is the way it ought to be. I mean, we're just brothers, you know. Um, but there's been pushback. I know Pastor Derek had people early on that were like, hey, man, why couldn't you merge with a black pastor? Why you got to merge with a white guy, you know? And then I've, I've gotten pushback on certain things that I've said and stands that I've taken because of, uh, you know, the, the position that I hold and uh, the influence that I carry and really want to rally support around African-Americans, you know, after the George Floyd and Armand Arbery and those kinds of things happened. And some of the statements that I made were not well received by some people, some white people, you know, that were yeah. upset about that. But man, we haven't focused on that really. This is a, this is a, the agenda of heaven. Yeah. And we get, uh, we get to advance that, you know, Matthew eleven twelve forceful men who are advancing the kingdom of God. Hmm. I love that. I love that so much. Um, let me ask you this. If I, my listeners, a lot of them really love to pray. And mm-hmm. if there's something that they can pray for as it pertains um, to what God is going to do with this book over the next year as people listen and download, uh, what is it that they can pray for, for, for either you guys or, or for this, this writing or this, this movement, what, what specifically can they pray for? Well, Pastor Tony, thank you for asking that. Uh, I mean, we we write very candidly and very transparently in the book about the struggles and about our heart and what we feel like God is doing, you know, in the church and in the nation. But I, w- I would say this, man, let's all be in agreement that all of us as the body of Christ, no matter what pigmentation we have Mm -hmm. that all of us would be the fulfillment of the answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 and that um, you know we really do come together in unity celebrating the differences that we have you know in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 I referenced earlier there were there there were multi-ethnic people gathered together there and they just rallied around prayer they rallied around you know listening to what the Lord was saying in that moment. And out of that came an earth shaking revival, an outpouring of the Holy mm. Spirit. So, man, I would say, let's, let's pray again. I really believe what's at stake is the greatest revival we've ever seen in America. Yeah. I believe the enemy knows that he's trying everything he can to divide us, but unity is always a prerequisite for revival. Mm. So man, in 2021, can we agree together? The greatest revival we've ever seen is coming. That's what's at yeah. stake on this. Thing. So we've got to dwell together in unity. Because it's not about us just locking arms and singing Kumbaya. This is about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the earth. This is about souls being ushered into heaven. This is about a move of God here in America that'll heal our land. And let's pray and believe that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Keep that up. That'll preach. Come on. Anything to add to that, Pastor Derek? No, nah, I'll just I'll say this one thing briefly. When we stand before the Lord, if you're really like bow down in the presence of the Lord, you're really not concerned about the color of what's in front of you. You're just worried about the presence of the Lord, like being engulfed around you. And for us, my, my challenge for people is just to really allow the presence of the Lord to engulf us in his presence and, and to remove the stigma of racism in our country yeah. and to uproot it out of us. And my prayer for anybody that's reading the book, Wilded, here's my prayer. If there's any prejudice, racism, anything inside of your heart, when you read it, black or white, repent of it. And allow the Lord to utilize you to stir revival in the city and the place that God is calling you into. Whether it's a corporation, whether you're the the coach of a football team, whether you're uh, standing at the attendant line and 
in a BP, wherever you are all across this country, that you have an opportunity to be a revivalist and you don't have to be in the church to do it. For prisoners, that's why uh, 21 prisons in South Carolina, 2,000 prisoners were able to receive the book. And here's what happens. We're praying that some, one of those individuals would read it and spark revival in prison. Yes, yes. That's what we want. That's what we want to see happen with this book. Yeah. Whew. I love it. And I love, I love you guys. That's, that's great stuff. Um, I know my listeners are going to want to connect with you and learn more about, uh, your ministries. Where, where's the best place on the interwebs, uh, to keep up with, with both you guys. Well, first of all, they can go to welditbook.com. Okay. But also for me, Pastor Tony, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and the the handle, the social media handle for all three of those is the exact same. It's the at sign, P-S-J Stewart, J-A-Y-S-T-E-W-A-R-T, uh, at P-S-J Stewart. Love it. I am on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Derek Hawkins on Facebook, Derek A. Hawkins Ministries on Facebook also. You can follow me at uh, Twitter at Derek, D-E-R-R-I-C-K-H-W-K-N-S on my Twitter and Instagram. And if you're new on Clubhouse, you can follow me on Clubhouse as well. I I don't even know about Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the thing. uh, Me either. It's a brand new thing that's a conversation room with influences all across the country, whether it's secular, whatever. Bishop Jakes has created a room. And it gives you that first kind of interpersonal opportunity to be in a room that you probably couldn't normally get in and to be in a discussion that's free with influential leaders all across the country. So I've, I've only been on Clubhouse for like two weeks. It's invitation only. So you got to get an invite just to get in the room. Oh, I'm going to check it out. Yeah, Clubhouse. Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for your generosity of time today. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for letting God work through you in this incredible writing. And I'm just praying for what God's going to continue to do through both of you. And thank you, Tony. Thank Amen. You. Thank you again for the honor to be with you. What an incredible conversation with Derek and Jay. I love the dialogue around spiritual sons and daughters, about the Holy Spirit's work, unsung heroes, the sound of revival, so much richness and goodness in this conversation. Do me a favor, go pick up a copy of their book, Welded. Follow them on socials. Thank them for being on the podcast. We love to, to share the love around here. Also, don't forget, uh, a rating or review goes a long way. And so to share in the podcast with a friend. And as always, I am so thankful that I have the opportunity to do this with you guys. It just means the world to me. I love the conversations. Some of the conversations uh, coming up, Winfield Blevins, Kate Warman, Mark Clark. So much fun. And don't forget episode 100. Follow me on Instagram at TWMilt. We'll be doing some special stuff there. Thanks, guys. Connect with you soon.